So it's 1 Samuel chapter 6, starting at verse 13. Now, the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley. And when they looked up and saw the ark, they rejoiced at the sight. The cart came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, and there it stopped beside a large rock. The people chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord, together with the chest containing the gold objects, and placed them on the large rock. On that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. The five rulers of the Philistines saw all this and then returned that same day to Ekron. These are the gold tumours the Philistines sent as a guilt offering to the Lord. One each for Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath and Ekron. And the number of the gold rats was according to the number of Philistine towns belonging to the five rulers. The fortified towns were their country villages. The large rock on which the Levites set the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the people of Beth Shemesh asked, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark go up from here? Then they sent messages to the people of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to your town. So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord. They brought it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to guard the ark of the Lord. The ark remained there at Kiriath-Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. Great. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, Richard, let me invite you to come join me. Uh, So, uh, Richard, we're so grateful to you uh, for coming to preach for us this evening, uh, which we're going to do in just a moment. Before you do, um, just a couple of questions by me. Um, I guess many people here will already know you, but perhaps for those uh, that don't, tell us a little bit about where you are and perhaps the the relationship. We've we've known you and the church there for a few years now. Uh, Tell us a bit about that. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, well, I'm uh, from Milton Keynes now. Been there for over eight years. Hard to believe it's been that long already. Um, but I serve at New City Church, Milton Keynes. I'm one of the pastors there. And uh, our partnership began um, just before I moved, actually. So around eight or nine or so years ago, uh, when your church uh, very uh, sacrificially and lovingly um, partnered with us uh, to really establish this work in Milton Keynes, a work that was already there but was struggling. So we're so grateful to you still for your partnership, and uh, we regularly pray for you as well. So, thank you. And it's been thrilling to see uh, the work go on, Richard, with you and others. Um, Can you give us, perhaps, for our prayers, um, one encouragement and one challenge, perhaps, that we can can be praying for you at the moment? Uh, I'll give you one example of an encouragement from the last uh, 18 months. Um, uh, Right early on in lockdown, my phone rang, and there was a, a woman at the end of the phone, and she said... Um, I won't go into all the details, but she, <laughs> I later learned that she'd rang, to, to, she rang up a, a church. She wanted to have a right go at a pastor. She wanted to let rip because she was really hurting. But in the course of this conversation, the Lord um, uh, amazingly brought things round to him and to his gospel. Uh, and as a result of that, she came to Christianity Explored. 
She did the whole thing. She gloriously professed faith. We baptized her about a month ago. And uh, that was just such a huge encouragement. In the midst of all of that mess that we had last year, uh, that was like, yes, we'll, we'll take that. Thank you. Uh, and more, more of the same, please. Mm-hmm. That's the encouragement. Uh, there's lots of others I could uh, point to as well. The challenge, oh boy, I think it's probably the same as you guys, really. Uh, it's just putting things back together after everything has been dismantled um, and trying to figure out what the, I don't even like using the phrase, what the new normal <laughs> for church looks like. Um, and, um, and in the midst of that, trying to figure out how, how are we going to bring the gospel to an even wider group of people in Milton Keynes. That's our heart. We want to invite everyone to follow Jesus. So uh, how are we going to do that? Um, uh, yeah, so that's, that's a big challenge. Yeah. Hey, let me pray for you now you. in that and for you as you preach. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we do so want to thank you um, for uh, those times eight, nine years ago as we, we thought and planned with Richard about trying to revitalize the church there. We, we thank you for the ways in which you've used him and others and bless them. You've grown that work and they've seen many encouragements. And Father, we praise you for stories like uh, that lady kind of hurting, reaching out, uh, but you meeting her, uh, you drawing her to yourself. Father, we, we pray that they would know kind of uh, tenfold and a hundredfold of those stories in the years to come. And we pray for Richard and the team in Milton Keynes. Would you give them all wisdom as they think about how do, how do they care for your flock there? How do they kind of put the bits back together after what we've come out of the last 18 months? How do they reach more people with the gospel? We do pray that you would help them and empower them and equip them. And we pray the same tonight now, uh, as Rich brings your words to us, uh, would your hand rest upon him that as he speaks, we hear your voice and it would do us much good. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Martin. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure and a privilege to come uh, and be with you guys. So, uh, it's good to be with. It's good to be able to be with you uh, again. So uh, grateful to the Lord for that. Well, we're looking at this passage in First uh, Samuel, First Samuel chapter six, uh, and particularly the second half. Um, uh, this incident of the ark returning to Israel, having been stolen by the Philistines, and it's now coming back. So we're going to delve into that and consider what it means for us. But. Um, if you like, I don't, I don't tend to title sermons, but if you like, the title of this is Our God is an Awesome God. And uh, off the top of my head, I can think of a couple of songs uh, that go... You got them, re- got them prepared? Yeah. Um, so, uh, Our God is an Awesome God. Now, awesome is just one of those words that has, has become so ridiculously overused in... Uh, in our world, in our society, and, and so it's lost all its weight and all its meaning. You know, you might, you might hear someone say, oh, you look awesome in that new outfit, you know, and, uh, and, and, and that person might feel good for a while, but doesn't, isn't an outfit ever really awesome? Or you might be uh, having a cup of coffee with someone, and they go, oh, this biscuit is awesome. <laughs> now, I like biscuits as much as the next guy, as you can probably tell, but is a biscuit ever truly awesome because properly defined uh, the word awesome well it means to bring about feelings of awe and wonder Uh, it's that sense of being 
overwhelmed and overcome by the greatness or the majesty of something or someone. So if you're standing at the foot of a colossal mountain, that's awesome. Or if you're seeing sort of 30, 50 foot waves crashing into the rocks on a stormy day, that's awesome. Indeed, it's fearful. But here's the issue for us. If we come to think of just everything as awesome, but nothing is really truly inspiring awe. I think it could certainly be true of our view of the holy and living God. What do we mean when we say that our God is an awesome God? Or perhaps more importantly, what do we feel? And I think this passage in 1 Samuel 6, we could go to a number of other passages, but I think this one here, helps us to grasp hold of a true sense of the awesomeness and the fearfulness of our God. And I think the standout verse is there in verse 20, where the people of Beth Shemesh Shemesh asked, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? And this gets right to the heart of the problem. So there are two key things really to challenge, maybe encourage our hearts this evening. Let's worship the Lord because he is worthy. And let's fear the Lord because he is fearful. First thing then, let's worship the Lord because he is worthy. Uh, So the story goes that uh, Israel are in battle with the Philistines, as they so frequently were. But they were losing. They were having a terrible time. uh, And so they were beside themselves at wit's end. What can we do? Uh, And so someone comes up with a brilliant idea. Well, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant uh, into the battle. And uh, when they bring it into 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 the battle camp... Uh, Their cries go up. They're so excited. Uh, Their situation has turned around completely before. They were completely stunned and terrified about losing this battle. Now they're like, yeah, how can we possibly lose? And then they lose. And the ark is stolen by the Philistines and they carry it off. Uh, But now... uh, Well, what has happened in between? Well, the Philistines, they've, they've tried to treat Yahweh... Like one of their gods. But the Lord has brought great distress and destruction on them. And so they give up. And they say, we're going to send it back. It's within a 14-day guarantee. So we're going to make sure it goes back. And so they send the ark back to Israel. And they devise a scheme to determine whether or not Yahweh has actually been behind all of these uh, troubles. So somebody, one of them says, you know, put it, put it on an ark, put some, uh, some uh, cows on the ark uh, that have never been yoked before, and then, and then set it off. And if it goes that way, then we know that it's of the Lord. If it goes this way, we know it's not. 
Uh, and so in chapter 6, verse 9, it says, you know, keep watching it. If it goes that way, we know that the Lord has brought great disaster on us. But if not, we'll know that it just happened to us by chance. And so they've had their confirmation. Because humanly speaking, against all odds, uh, the cart went with the, with the ark went straight to Beth Shemesh. And the Israelites living there, well, they seem to respond in the right way. When they see the ark coming towards them. Verse 13, they they were harvesting their wheat. And they looked up and saw the ark. And they rejoiced at the sight. Now nothing is said of why they rejoiced. Were they genuinely glad? Because the glory had returned to Israel. Did they think that they were somehow deserving of the ark being returned to them? Uh, That the Lord was pleased with them again? Or did they see this as some kind of a means to an end, you know, a way to greater blessing? We don't know. We're not told. But for whatever reason, they rejoiced and they also worshipped. So verse 40, the cart came to the field of, uh, of Joshua uh, and they stopped beside a large rock and the people chopped up the wood and they sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord together with the chest and the gold ob- objects and they placed them on the large rock and Uh, They offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. So they worshipped, or at least they appeared to worship, and they even seemed to do everything in good order. You know, it was the Levites who took responsibility as they should, and they made a burnt offering. Again, we don't know the motivation behind this act of worship. Were they genuinely offering heartfelt sacrifice as a sign of their repentance? Or were they going through the motions doing what they thought that they should do, the only thing they knew to do. We don't know. We're not told. But for whatever reason, they worshipped. I think we've got good grounds, based on what happens next, to suspect that this act of worship wasn't carried out because the people were repentant or because they wanted to express their adoration and devotion to the Lord. So it's possible that their worship was half hearted at best, proud and deceitful at worst. It's like Isaiah said later these people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Right, let's use a, a, an analogy that might be a bit closer to home. I might decide on the way home tonight to buy my wife some flowers. Uh, If I could find uh, a a good florist that was still open at that hour of a Sunday night, I'd go and buy the best and most expensive bunch of flowers I could find. Uh, But if when I get home and I present these glorious flowers to my wife and she says, why did you get me these? And I respond, well, I had to, didn't I? You're my wife. It's my duty. That's what I've got to do. Job done. Tick. Next. That's not really going to communicate romance, is it? Or kind of deep love or heartfelt devotion. That may not earn me the brownie points I was hoping for. And isn't it the same with our worship with the Lord? Why do we do it? Why do we worship? Worship, we know, is is more than just singing. It's it's our whole lives given over to his service. We are in Romans 12 to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing. 
to God. So if we worship the Lord simply because we think we have to, or because it's what we've always done, or because it's what we think everyone else is doing, well, that hardly communicates adoration and praise, does it? We're to worship the Lord because he is worthy. As the psalmist says, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He's most worthy. Nothing surpasses him. He stands above everything else and everyone else. Again, Isaiah said, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And of course, as Christian worshippers, we've been given an even greater focus to our worship. Because God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Lord Jesus who offered himself as the ultimate sacrifice. Not because he had to. Not because it was his duty. But because he delighted to offer himself and lay his life down. The Lord Jesus who triumphed over death and rose again, who overcame and conquered. The Lord Jesus who now sits enthroned and exalted over all with the name that is above every name. This Lord Jesus alone is worthy of all praise. Why should we worship him? Because it's our duty. May God forbid. But because he is most worthy of praise and his greatness no one can fathom yes our God is an awesome God so we should certainly worship him but we must also fear him fear the Lord because he is fearful now both the Philistines and the Israelites paid a very heavy price because they failed to comprehend the holiness and the greatness of of the Lord. In fact, the Philistines, by the end of this story, appear to show more reverence and fear for the Lord than the people of Beth Shemesh. They'd learned the hard way that you do not trifle with Yahweh. And the gold tumors and the rats that they placed on the cart with the ark are a testimony to that fact. Uh, because they were told in in verse 3 of chapter 6, if you return the ark of uh, the God of Israel, don't send it back to him without a gift. By all means, send a guilt offering to him. Then you will be healed and you will know why his hand has not been lifted from you. But in contrast, the people of Beth Shemesh, once the ark is returned to them, well, they treat it and therefore the Lord himself with extreme contempt. So verse 19, God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. The people mourned 
because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt on them. Now, there are different trans- possible translations here. It could be that they looked into it, so li- literally lifted the lid and had a look inside, or it could be that they merely looked at it. But either way, it was a violation of the law. Uh, Moses told the people in, in, uh, in Numbers 4, when the camp is to move, Aaron and his sons are to go in and take down the shielding curtain and put that curtain over the ark of the covenant law. And they are to cover the curtain with a durable leather and spread a cloth of solid blue over that and put the poles in place. Because so holy and sanctified was the ark of the Lord that no one was supposed to look at it. No one was supposed to even see it. Why was that? Well, because the ark is a visible representation of the invisible God. And it was often said in Israel, no one can look upon the Lord and live. So they were to treat this sacred object as if it were the Lord himself, as they treated the Lord himself. And yet here, the people of Beth Shemesh, they were clearly just treating the ark as some kind of spectacle. Like some sort of uh, circus act that they could do whatever they pleased with. Maybe they couldn't resist you know, a sneaky peek inside. Have you ever looked? If it's, do you know what's inside there? Let's go and have a look. No one's watching. Pfft. Or maybe they just simply failed to comprehend the greatness of God and just idly gawped at it. Ooh, it's nice looking, isn't it? But the consequences are devastating 70 of them struck down put to death which was a heavy blow indeed and of course not the last time that people died uh, by from treating the ark with contempt and it's this that prompts the verse that we saw at the beginning verse 20 the people of beth shemesh having seen that these 70 had perished they said who can stand In the presence of the Lord, this holy God. And so finally, through disaster, they learn the lesson. Who can stand in the presence of the Lord? And of course, the answer is no one. Sinful people can never hope to stand safely in the presence of the holy God. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? And so this is why, and this is the way we're, we're to fear God. Because he truly is fearful. As the writer to the Hebrews said, it is a dreadful thing. To fall into the hands of the living God. Now we might be struck with wonder and awe. At great waves crashing against the rocks. But we would also fear them. In the proper sense. I don't know if any of you have been watching. The BBC series. uh, Saving lives at sea. Have you seen that? Brilliant. Recommend it on iPlayer. All about the RNLI. And the great work that they do. And on our shorelines and so on around the UK. And they go to people in all kinds of situations. Sometimes it's just tragic, you know, a, a boat has sprung a leak or uh, they just got caught out in bad weather or whatever. Sometimes there is people just acting stupidly, jumping off piers 
to surf in like hurricane-grade winds and stuff like that. That is not treating the sea as it should be treated. We ought to fear the waves in the proper sense. We shouldn't trifle with them. We shouldn't play games with them. We should show the sea its due reverence and fear. And in the same way, our God is an awesome God. He is, in the old sense, an awful God. So let's not treat him with contempt. Not glibly. Let's not become overly familiar with him in the way that some do. You know, calling him, oh, the man upstairs, yeah. My mate, you know, some say, my daddy, yeah, my dad. Of course, he is in authority over us. He is, in that sense, above us. He is also the friend of sinners. So, yes, he's our mate, but he's not our mate. <laughs> and he's our heavenly father, but we must not presume that we can approach him however we please. And so we see here that trifling with the living God can have terrible consequences. So what hope is there then? If those guys couldn't even look at the ark without getting struck down dead, what hope is there for us? Well, much in every way. Because though we fully deserve to be treated in the same way as those Beth Shemites, struck down in judgment, Well, yet our God is a loving and merciful God. And indeed, what part of what makes him so awesome is his great love and his rich mercy that he demonstrates to us. Because he's not left us to wallow in our sin and shame. He has made forgiveness possible through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is on the cross. And so now when we ask the question, who can stand in the presence of this, the Lord, this holy God? Well, we can answer those who come in faith to Jesus for forgiveness. The writer to the Hebrews put it like this, didn't he? Jesus, our great high priest, has gone through the curtain. That curtain, which was to be draped over the ark, Whenever it was moved, that curtain which stood in the tabernacle between the people and the most holy place, that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom at the moment our Lord Jesus died on the cross. Opening up the way for sinful people like us to approach our holy God with confidence, without fear of judgment. So yes, we can draw near. We don't have to do what the Beth Shemites did next. What did they do next? Well, they said, who can stand in the presence? Uh, Let's send the ark away. They did what the Philistines did. Let's get rid of it and send it somewhere else and they can deal with it. We don't have to draw back. We don't have to draw away. We, We draw near. Indeed, we draw closer because we can. Because Jesus, our great high priest, has opened up the way. Which leads me to ask you this evening, where do you stand with God?
Have you put your faith in Jesus yet? Are your sins forgiven through him? Do you have that sense of confidence that, yes, I can come to God. I can approach him. I can draw near to him. In fact, I want to. I want to go because Jesus has paid for my sin. Do you have that yet? Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? Only those who come to him through faith in Jesus Christ. So come. Come right now and draw near to him. Uh, We've seen, haven't we, this evening how dangerous and how serious it is to trifle with the living God. So don't wait. Be reconciled to him today. Ask him to forgive you through Jesus who died. And he has promised that all who come in true faith will receive true forgiveness. And if you've already put your faith in the Lord Jesus, well, where do you stand? Do you, do we, do I worship him because he is worthy? Do we fear him because he is fearful? Do we have a proper sense of the greatness of God, which causes us to live a life of holiness as a sacrifice of praise? Our God is an awesome God. Therefore, let us all worship and fear him as we should. Pray with me. Lord our God, we bow our hearts humbly before you now. And we acknowledge you as the sovereign master over all things and indeed over us. Lord, you are far greater than we can ever imagine. You are far more holy than we can even begin to comprehend. Forgive us, Lord. Because our minds are small, our hearts are too small for you. But Lord, oh, how we thank you that even though you are this holy God, yet you have drawn near. You have come to us. And you have made it possible for us to draw near to you. Lord, how we long for that day when we will stand in that uh, heavenly uh, multitude and praise you without hindrance, without temptation, without distraction. And we will give you glory in a way that befits your name and your majesty. For now, Lord, we battle through in this life. And we plead, Lord, would you grant us to see and know and behold you in your awesomeness. That we may lay down our lives in sacrifice 
and praise and worship. Grant us this privilege, Lord, we pray. And would you receive all the glory and honor and praise in Jesus Christ. Amen.